0: Hey, before we get started, I wanted to let you know that we love bringing this content to you for free, and we want to keep going. Your support helps make that happen, so please go hit that subscribe button today. It really makes a difference. Okay, on to the episode. It was morning in New York City in the 1970s. Mike Arms was in the driver's seat of the ASPCA's animal ambulance on his way to answer a call. A dog had been hit in the Bronx and needed immediate transport. He pulls up to the scene, but what was waiting for him was beyond anything he could have imagined.
1: And this is where my life changes. Just as I turn to reach for the ambulance door handle, that's when these three fellas beat me from behind, stabbed me, and laid me in the street. That's when the roles are completely reversed. I'm the one lying, dying in the street that day.
0: When animal welfare becomes a career for someone, we often assume the work is more of a calling than a choice for that person. For Mike Arms, the president of Helen Woodward Animal Center, that wasn't the case, at least not at the beginning. To understand how Mike ended up on the street and where that experience took him, we first have to take a step back into his past.
1: I was born in Kentucky, grew up working on a farm, and the one thing I knew I didn't wanna be was a farmer. The work was too hard. The pay was too little. So I told my dad right from school, I was leaving to go where the money was. And I went to New York. And the fellow that gave me the interview in New York said, well, you're from Kentucky. You must like animals. I said, animals are okay, but can we get on with this interview? He said, how would you like to work for the ASPCA? I had no idea what he was talking about. I thought he was talking about an IBM or something like that. I didn't know what an ASPCA was. I said, tell me about it. Says a place that takes care of mistreated, neglected, abused, unwanted pets. I said, sounds like a nice place, but why are you talking to me about that? I have absolutely no interest in that.
0: The interviewer convinced Mike to give it a shot by telling him that he'd be able to work on the finance side of the organization and build experience in the nonprofit sector. But that's not all Mike was doing. It was the 1970s, and it was all hands on deck at the ASPCA, which meant that Mike was out in the field quite a bit, and he saw the suffering that these animals went through due to a sheer lack of resources and services.
1: In seven months, I lost 25 pounds. I could not eat. I could not sleep. I was tormented by what I was witnessing every day.
0: It was a difficult job, and Mike knew he couldn't carry on with the work anymore. He gave his notice and was ready to move on. But one tragic event not only made Mike reevaluate his career choice, but also his purpose.
1: I was six days before I was to leave. And they came to me, and they said, Mike, there's a door kept by a car on Davidson Avenue in the Bronx. I said, okay, get a driver out and get it. They said, that's just it, Mike. There are no drivers available. And this one from the calls is in really bad shape. I did just what you would have done or everybody else would have done in my position. I just took off my suit jacket, put on a uniform jacket and took the ambulance out myself. When I got to Davidson Avenue, this little black and tan terrier shepherd mix just looked just like benji from the movies but he was laying in the street he was bent almost backwards in half the car that hit him hit him with such force snapped his back and left him there to die when i got out of the ambulance and i'm standing above this little one and he's shaking so badly from fear and pain just as i'm about to reach down for him these three fellas came out of the park building doorway and said so what do you think you're doing I said, it's obvious, this little one's dying. I'm taking it to the hospital. They said, no, you're not taking it anywhere. I said, why? Is this your dog? They said, no, we're betting on how long it's going to live. I said, well, you guys are really sick. So I reached down, I scooped this little one up, and I'm holding him cradled in my arms. And he's shaking so vehemently, I thought it was going to fall. So I just looked down at him, and he was staring into my eyes, just as if he was staring into my soul. And he held me spellbound for those seconds in time. And this is where my life changes. Just as I turn to reach for the ambulance door handle, that's when these three fellas beat me from behind, stabbed me, and laid me in the street. That's when the roles are completely reversed. I'm the one lying, dying in the street that day. But that's when I found the compassion that these magnificent pets have for us that we as human beings will never be able to emulate. We do not have that capacity. That little one had one more act of kindness to give mankind and he blessed me with it. That little one that should not have been able to move by any shape of the imagination, found a way to crawl to my side and he started to lick me back to consciousness. He would not give up on me until I opened my eyes again. And when I opened my eyes, I was staring at those beautiful brown eyes one more time and I realized what was taking place. I laid in that street and I cried and I prayed, don't do it, don't take my life today. Give me another chance, and I promise you, I'll devote my life to them. Well, seconds, not minutes, but seconds after I made that promise, my friend just gently closed his eyes, and he crossed over Rainbow Bridge. And I know he waits for me, so someday we can take that walk together.
0: Mike was transported to the hospital and treated for his injuries. And when he left the hospital, Mike was determined to make good on that promise. He returned to the ASPCA and then moved on to join the North Shore Animal League, where he helped the organization go from 50 to more than 850 adoptions every week, and he grew it into the world's largest no-kill animal rescue and adoption organization. Eventually, Mike was called to his current position at the Helen Woodward Animal Center, where he is still committed to getting animals adopted, but is equally invested in educating others about how animals improve our lives every day. And that's something Mike will never forget.
1: Every day when I shave in the morning and I see those scars, I'm reminded what I'm supposed to be doing. I've never regretted it happening. And the detectives, when they came to the hospital, they told me the likelihood of us catching those guys in that neighborhood is minute. And I said, you know what, I really don't care. Today, I was given a purpose. From that day to now, I've kept my promise. From that day to now, I have helped facilitate and save more than 20 million orphan pets. I take what I do very seriously. It's not a game. It's not a hobby. I strongly believe that we will put on this magnificent planet to share it with them. I strongly believe that we're supposed to be the compassionate, intelligent beings, and it's our obligation to protect them, not use them, abuse them, and lose them.
0: This is Life with Pets. I'm your host, Hilary Georgie. And after the break, I'll be talking directly to Mike Arms to discuss his work at Helen Woodward Animal Center and his advice for pet parents looking to adopt. Stay with us. Do you have a very good boy or girl who you want to reward with some special treats? If so, look no further than Blue Nudge's Chicken Jerky. My dog Teddy goes absolutely crazy for them, and can you blame him? They are slow, oven-dried, easy to tear, and packed with protein. And these tender treats are made with real USA chicken. With no artificial flavors or preservatives, Blue Nudge's Jerky Cuts are a healthy way to celebrate everyday moments. Get them wherever you buy treats. And if you haven't yet, download the Buddies app to earn rewards and connect with other pet parents like you. Mike, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you for having me. I really mean that.
0: I want to get more into Helen Woodward, but before we do, I want to hear what your personal history is with pets. Like, tell me about some of the pets that you've had throughout your life, dogs, cats, birds, whatever it is that you've had. How, how have pets personally been a part of your life?
1: Oh, my goodness. When I met my wife, I hired her when I worked at North Shore. And I was really a dog person. And so, you know, she had cats. And so I had to become a cat person. There's <laughs> one particular cat, Tigger, he would torment me. I couldn't eat unless he ate. I couldn't do anything. So he said, I'm going to turn you into a cat person. So then we had nine cats and five dogs. Wow. Wow. So, you know, I'd go to work every day and come home, there'd be more animals when I came home.
0: What is the most amount of animals you've had in your house at one time?
1: 14. Wow.
0: Wow. And they all, like, got along with each other? Oh, yeah. How many do you have now?
1: Now we just have the one, the Malamar.
0: All right. All right. You just got the three-legged Malamar. Yep. Okay. I do want to now shift over, if we could, to tell me about... Helen Woodward, tell me about the organization, what you do, and why it's so important. Well,
1: when I took this position, I asked the board, if I come here, I would like to turn this into a teaching organization. If I'm not going to be out helping all these organizations around the globe, who is going to do it? So if I could turn this into a teaching facility then I'll come here. And they all agreed. So we do, I consider it the facility of the future. We do adoptions like everybody else. I mean, we quadruple the adoptions since I came here. We have the largest children's education center probably in the nation, where we'll have 2,500 children coming here in the summertime to learn how to share the earth with animals. I believe this is so important. We also have a boarding facility. We have two hospitals. We have a small animal practice, a large equine hospital. We have animals where we help feed all the people that have pets that can't afford pet food. So we help with that, especially the seniors. We work with Meals on Wheels providing all those food programs. We have pet encounter therapy where we bring unconditional love to hospitals, youth homes. We have Therapeutic riding, we have our own horses, our own stables, where we help all the physically and mentally challenged folks learn to, that they can do something on their own. They can ride a horse. You know, Hillary, you'd have to see it to believe it when you see these children the first time when they're in their wheelchair, and a horse comes up and puts his face right down by theirs. first, they're intimidated, then they reach up and touch that horse's face, and you just see a glow come over that child. And then you see how they're on that horse. They have to go to their siblings' baseball games and soccer games. Now the siblings come and see them perform on a 1,000-pound animal. And that horse just knows that he has something very special on his back. Yeah. And twice, twice, we saw miracles take place where one child had global disorder, never spoke in her life, and they heard her speak to the horse. That's the amazing. mother just flipped out. And so we saw that at least twice and we feel good about all that. So, you know, we have these programs that we teach organizations around the world. We travel around the world and do a one day workshop, teach them how to fundraise, how to market, how to use social media, how to use publications, all at our own expense. All they have to do is go online, fill out an application. If they can bring a hundred organizations together, we come at our own expense. We don't charge them anything. Then we have three-day workshops where twice a year, we open up, we do everything from A to Z on animal welfare. The only thing we won't do is charge. So we have people coming from all over the world. And one of the good things is Blue Buffalo provides all the lunch for everybody and they love it.
0: It doesn't get much better than that. No. So you said that you know, one of the biggest missions is to be a teaching organization. And I kind of want to go back to part of your story that you were telling earlier is you had these guys come out and they're betting on like how long this animal is going to live. And I mean, that's obviously despicable, but like for for those who are listening, like what are some of the things that people don't understand about pets that you're trying to teach them? Like, what are, what are some of the key things that, you know, the kids who you work with, how are you teaching them to, to share the earth with these animals and to love them so that they don't grow up to be these people who don't care about animals?
1: Well, we teach compassion. That's the mm-hmm. biggest thing that we teach in our education department, how we're supposed to care for the pets. And what they do for us, this is how I always put it when I'm talking to groups all over, that mankind has a way of taking advantage of everything. And how do we take advantage of these magnificent pets? Well, think about it. If you were an individual that unfortunately lost your sight, there would be a dog that would be bred, raised and trained to be your eyes, to lead you to where you need to go. They will do it until they physically can't do it any longer. And what about those magnificent animals that work for the people that are confined to wheelchairs? They'll pick up what they drop. They'll open doors from, turn on lights from, never leave their side. They'll dedicate their whole life to mankind to give them. What about all those magnificent animals that work with our police and our military in search and rescue? The ones that are in search and rescue that have found children that were lost and brought them home. But about our military, how these are intelligent dogs, and they'll do anything, and they sense fear, they're extremely intelligent, but yet time and time and time again, they have walked up and stepped on a landmine to give their life for us. So how do we return that favor in this country? The euthanasia of these magnificent pets must stop. You know, the greatest story I ever had was from this fellow Michael Hinkson that was on He was the blind man that was in the World Trade Center the day it got hit. Mm -hmm. He said, Mike, I felt the explosion. I heard the explosion. I felt the heat. I smelt the fumes. I heard the screams. But I had to stay perfectly calm for my guide dog, Roselle, to stay focused on leading me down like a thousand steps to safety. And he explained how Roselle put her head against his knee and applied gentle pressure to every step so he wouldn't stumble. And he said on his, when he was declining those steps, those wonderful firemen were on their way up and each one of them stopped and said, sir, do you need help? He said, no, I have Roselle, go help the others. But he said he felt each one of them reach down and pet her and she turned her head and kissed them all goodbye because those heroes never came back. So the last bit of compassion they received in this world came from the Sky Dog. They will give us everything they're capable of giving. Now it's our turn to give back.
0: I mean, that's such an incredible story. And it kind of echoes the story you told, that black and tan dog whose last act of compassion was to help save you. And the work that you're doing now is to give that compassion back to these animals. And and I want to hear more about how you're facilitating so many adoptions, how you're helping other organizations around the world facilitate more adoptions. What is the... The, the work that you're doing, the, the nuts and bolts of, like, how you're telling stories, how you're getting people involved, how you're getting just the general public to, to come in and care about these animals?
1: Well, the, the main thing that organizations need to know, and this is where we have a problem, is they have to run it as a business. They cannot run it with their heart. You cannot run a business with your heart, but you have to have a heart for the business. But what they need is your intelligence, how to market, how to, if you don't have a million dollar advertising budget, you have creativity, get stories out to the media so the media will come in and show the beautiful pets that you have. I get frustrated when I see some of them bring the hard to place, the three-legged dog, bring that on TV and think everybody's going to rush down and get that. No, they're going to think that's all you have at your facility. So here, and I show them, We take the cutest, most mushy-faced pet we have, we take that on TV, 20 families will come down for that particular pet, that one will get adopted, and five more will get adopted because of the exposure. And they have to, it'd be just like a used car salesman pushing out a car with four flat tires and a (laughs) cracked windshield and leaky oil and saying, well, come down here and get one. Nobody's gonna do it. But they always bring that flashy model out, and that's what we have to do. We have to show the beautiful pets that we have at these facilities, that we have beautiful pets. We have young ones, old ones, pure breeds, um, blends. We don't call them mixed breeds here, we call them blends here. Mm -hmm. So we have to market them the proper way. You know, they all cry when it's kitten season that there's too many kittens. And I said, don't cry about it, do something about it. Don't put one kitten in the cage or three kittens in the cage. Put two kittens in the cage and give them names peanut butter and jelly, Bonnie and Clyde. Watch what happens when the families come in, they take peanut butter out of the cage. Jelly will just look at them and they can't leave jelly behind. It'll increase their adoptions by 10% overall. We run it with our minds. The animals already have our hearts. We don't have to prove anything to them, but they need our intelligence. How do we get you out of this facility into a quality home as quickly as possible?
0: I love that. And one of the campaigns that you you've been running for a very long time that I wanted to touch on because the holidays are coming up is the Home for the Holidays campaign. Take me through that because based on the stats that I'm reading, more than a million dogs and cats have been united with loving families through Home for the Holidays. So so talk to me about that campaign, how you do it, what what this year is looking like and 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 what you hope to achieve with home for the holidays?
1: Well, first of all, I call it the Blue Buffalo home for the holidays because <laughs> we're partners and that's what I call it. I don't call it anything but Blue Buffalo home for the holidays. And it, ha- it started back in 1999 when I first came here. I've been in this business for a lot of years. A lot of facilities used to close down for Christmas week saying that adopting a pet was an impulse adoptions. Well, that's not an impulse adoption. Impulse adoption is when you go to the grocery store to get a quart of milk and you see a child there with a box of puppies and kittens and you take one, that's impulse. When Billy and Janie write down on their Christmas list to Santa that they want their own puppy and kitten and mom and dad talk about it and decide, yes, let's bring, what's the better reason for the season? Let's bring a pet home. So they would go down to your facility to get a pet. And that's not impulse, that's thought out. So you should be, open to do that. So I had in the beginning, it was tough because a lot of one keep their old ways about doing adoptions and they want to do holiday adoptions. And so they trust me. And that was the biggest thing because I've been in the industry so long, never take advantage of anyone, always give myself. And so they trust me, they tried it. So we tried it here in San Diego first, all 14 facilities Collectively got together and we did Home for the Holidays in 1999 and we did 2,563 adoptions collectively. Wow. Then we said, okay, let's open it up. So we did five states the following year and we did over 100,000. Then we opened it up nationally and internationally. So now we're at 4,100 organizations and collectively we do over a million adoptions a year. But, you know, blue buffalo is a great big part of that.
0: My dog Teddy is going through something right now. What is it, you ask? It's the true blue effect, which is all the benefits your dog could experience from the key ingredients in blue life protection formula. I'm talking healthy coat, strong bones, muscle development, immune system health, great digestion, strong joints, and lots and lots of energy. Try the Blue Life Protection Formula now and see if your dog benefits from the true blue effect. Talk to me a little bit about some of the ways that when families come in for home for the holidays or for any reason, what kind of resources are you helping them with? How are you like ensuring that they're going to be good pet parents? You know, for, for our listeners, what does it mean to be a good pet parent in your eyes?
1: Well, when they first come in, they're going to be interviewed. There's no question about that. We want to know what happened. Did you have a pet before and what happened to that pet? If you just had a pet for a month and you decided you didn't want it, you gave it up, we're not going to give you a pet. It's not going to happen. If you want to come in and get a pet as a gift for your next door neighbor, that's not going to happen. You can bring your neighbor in and let them pick their own pet and they can pay the adoption fee if that's what you want to do. But we want to match you up with the right pet. If you're thinking that you're really serious about getting a pet, we want you to know that if you take a young pet, it could be a 14, 15 year commitment. And we want you to understand that. And so then we try to match you up with the right pet. And if you have children, we want to match up the family with the right pet. It's very important. And if you have other pet, another dog at home, say you want to adopt a dog, we're going to tell you to go home and get that other dog because we want to see that they get along together. We're not just pushing animals out. We're making happiness happen by bringing people and pets together in the right way.
0: What does it mean to you when you find that perfect match? And you're doing it so often, like how does it make you feel when those the family and the pet, they match together? The person and the pet, it's a, it's a natural, like these two belong together. What kind of emotions does that bring up in you?
1: Well, I think it's so important. I mean, when you see these families get together and you see the smiles on their faces and you see that this is a match made in heaven. Look, all of us, a lot of us, like I'm married, I've been married 41 years. When I was a young man, I dated quite a few girls. Why <laughs> is it that only one person stands out to you in your life that you want to spend your life with? Well, that's happened with these pets. I never want people to give pets as a gift. I want the people to come in. I want them to look at all the pets. They come in here with a different thing in mind. Oh, I want to get this. Or I want to get that. But all of a sudden, there's one pet that looks them in the eye and they say, I have to have you. I don't care what it takes. I have to have you. And that's what I want to happen. And it shouldn't have anything to do with money or anything else. If you see the pet that you want, that has your heart, you don't care what you have to pay for it. You'll just move anything to make that, that happen. And I tell my staff, and it's very important that they realize how important they are in life. This is not a game. This is not a joke. This is, this is something that's very important. And I tell them, I said, look, I want you to focus on something and see how important you are in people's lives. Let's say this family comes in. They have a little young son. You put a puppy in his hands, and all of a sudden you see his Face glow, you see the smile, you see the puppy licking his face, and you made that match, you're part of the first love in his life. And then I want you to fast forward seven years down the road, and when that young boy now is 14 years old, and all his friends don't understand him, his parents, his siblings, they don't understand the problems that he's going through. He's a teenager, but his dog will sit there and listen to all the problems, never be judgmental. He'll listen until you stop talking. And let's fast forward seven more. So you were part of making that teenager and that boy get along, dog get along. Let's fast forward seven more years down the road when that young man is up in college and mom calls him up and says, I think you need to come home. It's time is up. You were part of that very first loss also. So, you know, adopting a pet is just not adopting today. It's adopting for years. It's helping people grow together. Whether you're a senior, it's somebody that's going to keep you companion all day. You're never going to be lonely. If you're a child, it's going to be something for you to play with and have fun with, just like you would with your friends. And when you need them the most, they're going to be there. And that's what's really important about adopting pets.
0: I think that's such a touching and poignant way to, to describe the journey that, you know, not just the family and the, the pet go on, but the organization goes on. How do you hope that inspires others to, to get involved, to adopt an animal, to, to be a part of animal welfare?
1: Well, I hope to inspire young, younger people. If one person, myself, I'm not smarter than anybody in your audience, I am just more aggressive and I know that I have to use my mind to increase adoptions. But what happens when I'm gone? I'm not getting any younger. (laughs) Who's gonna pick up that torch and be as creative and work with all of these organizations and bring them together to do one single thing, work together. There's no egos here. There's no heroes here. It's us working together but we have to share our best practices. How could I ever, ever, ever say that I'm an animal lover if I am not willing to help you save more lives? I have to share every single thing that we do. And I surround myself, Hillary, you've met some of my folks. I surround myself with like-minded people. We don't sit here and look at clocks and watches. We sit here and say, how can we bring more attention to animal welfare? How can we help more animals? How can we bring together all these organizations to work as one? We don't, we don't expect them to have all of our beliefs, but I think if we believe in one thing, that we want to save the lives and not euthanize. We want to spay-neuter every pet that leaves our facility, encourage the public to spay-neuter their pets so there's not an overpopulation problem. I think if we can agree on those two things, then we can build from there.
0: Absolutely, I think that's a good place to end it. But before we do, I have two more things that I have to ask you. Number one, if you were any kind of pet, what kind of pet would you be? And what would be your favorite activity?
1: I'd be a lab (laughs) and my favorite activity would be chase a ball.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Um, And then lastly, how can people listening, how can our audience get involved, learn more about Helen Woodward Animal Center, any of the campaigns that you're running, any of your ongoing efforts, or just get involved um, generally in pet welfare?
1: I'll answer that. But there's one statement I want to make because I don't think it was made. When I got connected with Blue Buffalo, we came up with an agreement that I'll get the animals out into homes and you keep them living longer with quality food. Yeah. And that was the agreement that I had with Bill Bishop way back then. (laughs) And I'm really glad that I'm still with Blue Buffalo because I know that my pets will live longer because of you. I want to to thank you with all my heart for that. And then how can people get involved? Look, if you can bring a pet into your home, why don't you do it now? If you can't, why don't you volunteer at your local facility? Can you give a couple hours? Can you take a dog out of a cage or a run and take him for a walk and let him know he's loved? And if you can't do that, can you donate to your local facility so they can treat their pets with the best care that they can afford? That's how you can get involved. And that's how we can show that we are the intelligent, compassionate beings on this planet.
0: Amazing. Mike, this has been so incredible. Thank you so much for, for taking the time to talk to me today and I loved having you. I love talking to you, and I love the work that you're doing. And and I'm thankful and grateful that you all are, are doing the work, and and I'm grateful that Blue Buffalo can help in it in uh, some small way or some large way. And Ozzy's grateful too because he's <laughs> a big fan. Of, <laughs> he's a rescue, so he he definitely knows um, what it what it means to. Find somebody who cares about you and have a good life because of it.
1: Great. And anytime you want me on, I have a lot more stories to tell.
0: Oh, I, don't threaten me, Mike. I will call you over and over again.
1: <laughs> well, it was a pleasure and I really enjoyed the time.
0: You've been listening to Life with Pets, the show that combines real pet stories with proven guidance from pet professionals. I'm your host, Hillary Georgie, and I hope this show has been a great resource for you as a pet parent. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcast platform. And don't forget to download the Buddies app. This episode was produced by the team at Mission.org.